been a, an incredible series for me personally, just learning and the things that God continues to challenge me in in my life. Um, you all, just because we up here preaching it don't mean we got it down. Many times I'm up here preaching stuff and God drops stuff that's not in my notes and it hit me as much as it hit y'all. It is real. We have to learn how to speak words that heal and understand the power that those things have. And I was asking God, like, okay, so how, what's my angle? You know, and I always ask him, what's my angle for this message? How do you want me to come at this? Who am I talking to? What are we talking about? What is it that you want me to do? And the thing today is more along the lines of if you're in this room and you've ever been angry at God, anybody ever been like mad at God, like for real mad at God? Like, I don't really want to talk to you mad. Get out of my face mad. Like, I am not praying. I'm not going to church. I'm kind of sick of you right now because this stuff that's happening in my life, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And you don't seem to be wanting to answer me. And I felt like God was saying, I want to talk to them people. I want to talk to the folks that are frustrated, people that are angry, that might even be hurt. Anybody ever been hurt by the church? Oh, I heard, I heard somebody yell. Oh. <laughs> they felt that one. Y'all look, there is, in my mind, there is no pain like church pain. Uh, church hurt. And why is church hurt so bad? It's bad because this is the one place we come to where we expect not to be hurt. If I'm being honest, that in a nutshell, when people be like, why is church hurt so terrible? Why is it so much worse than other places? Because I actually come here thinking that this is the one place I shouldn't have to deal with it. And then I get surprised. <laughs> and I find out I'm still dealing with people. And I got news for you. In the church, in your job, in your family, I don't care where you go. As long as you are dealing with people, you're going to deal with some hurt. You're going to deal with some pain. But the last place you want to get that from is from the church of the living God. Just being honest with you. So when I was praying about this and God was saying, I want to talk to those people. I want to talk to the folks that, that uh, sometimes go through stages where they don't really want to talk to me. Where they feel like I'm not moving fast enough or I'm not taking care of the situation the way that they would want me to. I need them to understand that I am still there for them. So I'm like, okay, God, well, how do you want me to get that message across? Is there a way that would help them remember this even when they leave out of here? Because my thing is, it does me no good to speak to y'all and to preach to you. And then when you leave here, we had a good time at church. What did you learn? I don't know. <laughs> that means nothing to me. If you can't leave out of here with something tangible to use in your life when you walk out this door, we have wasted our time today. So God gave me a word from an evangelist that some of y'all are going to recognize. So I'm going to ask my media team, go ahead and bring the evangelist on up on the screen for us. Anybody recognize the evangelist, Diana Ross? Call me. No matter where you are, no matter how far, just call my name. I'll be there in a hurry. On that you can depend and never worry. You see, my love is alive. It's like a seed that only needs a thought of you to grow. So if you feel the need for company, please, my darling, let me be. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from you.
Look, I heard some of y'all in here singing. Yeah, took some of y'all back to basement parties and blue lights. And some of y'all couldn't find the blue lights. You found a red one. <laughs> oh, I love this church. I don't know what y'all be praying on second service, but like, Holy Ghost be silly in second service. I don't know what he be doing. But this message, okay, I understand. No, it's not technically Bible, okay? Ain't no mountain high enough. And I get it. She's not quite an evangelist. I got that too. But her message definitely rings true. And I feel like God brought this to me. And he said, I want you to remind my people that in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, it says, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now to me, I hear ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep God from you. And it's so simple, but sometimes, if I'm being honest, I have days, y'all, where I don't feel the love. Where I'm struggling, I'm struggling to navigate it, and I'm struggling with life, and I have questions, and I don't feel like I've got enough answers. I've got situations, and I don't feel like I've got enough solutions. But I'm so glad to know that God's love doesn't depend on me understanding anything. He said, my love is a constant for you that is not dependent on anything above the earth, below it, or anything in all of creation. And sometimes when I have days when I don't feel like I even deserve his love because I know me. I'm so glad to know that his love isn't dependent on me either. Praise God. If I had to earn his love, I'd never get it. I'd never get it. But he said, you don't even have to earn it. I give it freely to you. And there's nothing you can do. There's nothing anybody else can do that can separate my love from you. That's a message right there. And the older I get, the more that matters, the more important that is to me, the more I hold on to that. There's times I can sit and think about how much God has loved me over the years. And if I think too long, I got to pull the car over. Because you start thinking about things you've gone through. You start thinking about situations you face and like, man, I probably shouldn't even be here right now. But because of God who loved me when I didn't love myself, Man, that's why we worship him the way we do. And he deserves it. Can we just give him a hand praise for what he's done? Come on. Come on. God has been amazing to us. So we're jumping into the book of Ruth today. And everybody in here has probably at least heard of Ruth or is familiar at least with the story of Ruth and Boaz. Because that's like the all-time marital mission. Most of them preach that message out. And I'm like, y'all know it's a whole lot more of this book that don't have nothing to do with Boaz. (laughs) I almost think this book could have been called Naomi. Very much so. And we're going to read through this first chapter. We've got a little bit of reading that we have to do because I need you to understand what's happening here. And then we're going to spend some time, but what can we learn? That phrase, I will always be there for you, that I believe God wants us to know about him and what the people in this story can teach us about that. 
I want to pray before I go. I feel like prayer is even needed right now. And I don't know for what, I don't know for who or for, for how, but let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. And God, I come against any spirit right now that would block us from getting this message out. That your love is consistent. It is constant. It doesn't quit. It doesn't give up on us. And there is nothing that you will not do to see your love reach us. God, I pray that this message goes out and does what you've created it to do. Help me to present this in the way that you've presented it to me. And may your people be edified by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, in Ruth chapter 1, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, it says that the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Milan and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from the Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died. And Naomi was left with her two sons, and her sons married Moabite women. One married Orpah and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilion died. And this left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. And you all, I'm going to throw this in here for free. Back in the Bible times, if you as a woman didn't have male protection, you had a problem. Anything could happen to you. Women were not breadwinners then. They didn't go out and just find jobs. And many women who found themselves in this situation ended up having to sell everything they owned, including themselves into slavery just to eat, to survive during these times. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughter-in-laws got ready to leave to return to her homeland. And with her two daughter-in-laws, she set out from the place where she'd been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to them, go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and cried. And no, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go with me? Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again, they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and said uh, bye-bye. And she went back home. Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you. And turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth wasn't playing with her, she left that woman alone. That's the J. English version. And when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. And they said, is this really Naomi? My guess is Naomi had changed. Because it continues and says, she's told them, don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the young Moabite woman. 
They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring and at the beginning of the barley harvest. And I want to start by talking to us about the things that we can learn from Naomi. Understand that Naomi, she has a very similar story of somebody else that I recognize in the Bible named Job. Can I be 100 with y'all? I'm not where Job was. I pray to get there. Job lost everything for doing nothing but loving God. Satan said, let me get at him. I'll make him curse you to your face. And God said, you can do anything to him you want except kill him. So Satan said, cool. He killed everybody else. Wiped out that man's family, took away all his possessions, his home fell on top of his kids. Like everything that can go wrong went wrong. And Job sat there and said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I pray to God I get to that point. Y'all, I'm not there today. I'm not there today. I can't tell you that if I stood here and if I lost my wife and I lost my child and all of my life fell apart, that I'd be sitting there encouraging y'all with blessed be the name of the Lord. I pray I can get there. Some of y'all know good and well, you wouldn't be either. That's a different type of faith that we strive for. But I tell you, Naomi went through very similar things. And in a way, when I'm reading through her story, I can relate to Naomi. She left Bethlehem, it says full. And she says, but I returned empty. To me, she left full. There was a famine in Judah. She left full of hope. She left full of promise. She left like, hey, I got my family and we're going to figure out a where, a place to go where we can live and where we can make it. And I'm looking forward to having my grandchildren and seeing my sons married and living to an old age with my husband. She was full of what the future held. And none of that worked out the way she thought. So now Naomi is bitter. She's angry. And she don't mind telling folks that God did this to her. If you notice in this passage, Naomi throws shade at God whenever possible. Like direct shade too. She uses his name. He did this to me. He caused this to happen. He put me in this position. I left full and he brought me back empty. You know what? There's something terrible about when you leave out. And I want you to think about Naomi's situation. Have you ever left home, moved out, got your first place, and it didn't work out, and you had to move back in with your parents? Returning back home ain't fun. Especially when it didn't work out the way you said it was going to when you left. You can leave out, oh yeah, I can't wait to be grown. I can't wait. I'm going to have my own. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go there. I'm going to have that. And you leave and people is trying to, you know, sometimes folks just be in your ear. Saying crazy stuff, you know, well, I don't think you should do that, but I don't think that's where you should go. And it's not even that they're trying to encourage you to do something right. They just haters. Because they didn't get out. They don't want you to get out. But sometimes when you even get out and it doesn't work out the way you thought and you got to return home to them same crazy people and they looking at you with that look like I told you it wouldn't work. I always knew you'd be back here. Can you imagine with me how Naomi feels? She left here 
to find a new life. And now she's returning with none of the things or people that she left with. This did not work out in her favor. And that's why I believe these women are asking, is this Naomi? Is this the same woman? Because she probably looks different. Her hair probably ain't how it was when she left. Her face is probably not making the same expressions. Naomi as a name means pleasant. Think about how pleasant this woman had to have been to spend 10 years with her daughter-in-laws and they are literally ready to give up everything to return back with her. What kind of impact was Naomi having on lives? I think she had to be incredible to be able to do this. So she returns very bitter. And in verse 20 and 21, she says, don't call me Naomi. Indeed, call me Mara for the almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Oh, that's two. And then she says, why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer? That's three. And the Almighty has sent such tragedy. One sentence. Shade. He just passing it out. Angry, hurt, bitter. And you know what? I understand it. I get it. Some of us go through things and it's like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And you can get angry and you can get mad. But even though she's bitter and angry at God, she still seems to recognize, number one, that he's real. And two, that he has the power to bless. Because what's funny is that even in her conversation with her daughter-in-laws, when she's telling them to go back home, she looks at them in verse 8 and 9 and she says, may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. So even as she's throwing shade on God, she's saying, but I still acknowledge you have the power to bless these situations. What are we learning from Naomi? From Naomi, we're learning that you can be as mad as you want. You can be hurt. You can be disappointed. You can even be bitter. But don't give up on your belief on who God is. Don't quit believing that he still has the power to bless. I can very well be angry at him. And I got news for you. He can handle it. You can be bitter at him. And I got news for you. He can handle it. You can be disappointed that he hasn't stepped into your situation the way that you desired him to. And I got news for you. You can tell him and he can handle it. I've never understood people who are scared to pray how they actually feel. If God is real, number one, and you praying, you already know he knows how you feel to begin with. So you might as well give it to him the way you feel it. That's the power of prayer. I don't hold nothing back. When I'm angry at God, I tell him, God, I'm angry at you right now. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I know you can change it. I don't like it. I don't want it. But I know you know what you're doing. I wish you would tell me how long I've got to be in this situation before you pull me out of this. But I'm going to still trust you. Naomi, I can relate to. Yes, I am bitter. Folks, I ask me someday, Pastor Jay, how are you doing? I ain't doing so good today. And it shocked them. Because y'all are expecting that, that super religious answer. Oh, I'm just highly favored of God. 
blessed of the Lord. I know y'all, y'all really be expecting me to be that person. I'm not. If I'm having a bad day and you come ask me, Pastor, how your day going? Today sucked. Today has been pretty bad. <laughs> oh, Pastor, did you say it sucked? Like, I'm sorry. It didn't go so well with my soul today. Okay, is that better? <laughs> I'll be having like, I'll be struggling, y'all, because look, we're people. And I have days where I don't get what God is doing. And I got questions. And I'm asking him, and he don't always respond the way I want to. And sometimes I'm in situations that I'm navigating, and he don't give me a date book that shows me when he's going to bring me out. Because if he told me, well, Thursday of next week, I got you, I can be good every day because I'm counting the days down. But he don't do that. He just says, do you trust me to fix it? I mean, I do, but can I trust you a bit faster? (laughs) So depending on the day you get me, you might get a different answer. But I haven't given up my faith in him being able to do it anyway. And that's what I believe Naomi teaches us. We still have to believe in his power to do what he said he can and will do. Now, I want to move to what we can learn from the young lady that accompanies Naomi named Ruth. The lady that this book is actually named after. And the thing that really hit me, Naomi's in this position right now where she can't, she can't see God right now. Okay? She's not trying to hear from God. She ain't really trying to pay attention to what he got to say. And sometimes we get into these places where from a spiritual standpoint, we simply can't see him. We can't hear him. And if you get angry enough, you don't want to. Hey, I don't even want to hear from you right now. I don't want to talk to you. I don't desire to pray. I don't want to be at church. I don't want to be around other folks. I don't even know if I believe what I've been saying. I believe myself right now. And sometimes God, who knows that, is so gracious to us that instead of him trying to force himself into our lives, he says, cool, I'm going to send somebody to represent me and put them in your life. And I believe Ruth was that for Naomi. Sometimes when we can't physically see God, he sends us a person to manifest what we can't see spiritually in him. So Ruth comes on the scene and she says something that is so absolutely amazing. Again, this sounds like God to me, but she says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. This sounds like vows to me. I promise to be with you in sickness and in hell for richer or poor, till death do us part. But she adds another line. She says, and may God punish me severely if nothing but death separates us. I got news for y'all. If we added that to the vows right now, a whole lot of folks wouldn't be getting married no more. <laughs> folks would be like, wait, wait, wait. May God deal with me. I'd be as a pastor. Repeat after me. May God deal with me severely if anything but death. And they'd be like, uh, uh. Whole lot of marriages would bust up at the altar. Because, see, we always think there's an out. But we never consider the fact that maybe if we took this vow the way she did, God may actually deal with us severely. It would have kept some of us from getting married the first time or the third. (laughs) She takes a vow 
to be with this woman. Representing, in my mind, this sounds like the stuff Jesus was talking about in the New Testament. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm the one who will stick closer than a brother. Sounds very similar. So she's representing who God is without being God herself. And I don't believe that's a coincidence that she's in Naomi's life at this time to be that kind of person. And some of us need people like that. Some of you need a church like this one because you've been hurt in other places and God had to send some crazy pastors here to say crazy stuff on the stage so that you can see God in a completely different light. Because you had drank the Kool-Aid and thought all the crazy church folks represented him completely. We raised our hands when I first got up here talking about, have you been hurt by the church? Y'all, ain't gonna name no name. I had a time where I got so mad at church folks, I wrote a song about it. So I used to write music. And when I got like, my best music came out of me typically getting angry. I don't know what that is. I don't know. Y'all pray for me. I got problems. I wrote a song called Church Folk is the Worst Folk. I was ready to get that thing recorded, published, and put out. Because I'm like, this is about to go worldwide because everybody can relate to this. My hook, church folk can be the worst folk. You better listen to what I say. Church folk can be the worst folk. Stab you in the back and smile in your face. Lord, I need you to help me because if you don't help me today, I'm going to lay hands on some of your children. And it definitely ain't going to be to pray. That was my hook. And I'm like, people feel this. I know they're going to get it. Some of y'all would buy that right now. <laughs> Look, I was ready to go on tour. <laughs> Hire me for your church. I'll get it right. <laughs> Man, because I was so hurt by folks that literally, you stabbed me. I know you stabbed me, but you're still smiling at me. How can you do this? And I got mad at God. I got angry at him, was ready to quit Jesus. And Jesus had to get a hold of me one day and be like, brother, I don't know them either. <laughs> You mad at me? Like, I don't know them. I didn't tell them to do that. That's not who I am. That's not what I represent. Study my whole Bible. Not once did I tell anybody to stab nobody. Matter of fact, when Peter cut off the brother ear, I healed it. So God has to send us sometimes because people have hurt us in one area. He has to send us new people because we tend to associate God with these folks. So God says... They won't even listen to me right now because of y'all. So I got to send somebody over here that can represent me while we get this thing back together. And that's what I believe Ruth represented here. She took this vow. And from a heart perspective, Ruth was portraying the purest form of the Christian religion. Now, I'm a big proponent of relationship over religion. But if you really want to get into what religion should be in James chapter one, verse 27, it tells us that pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, not man, in the sight of God, the father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. And here's Ruth doing exactly that. Saying, I'm going to give up everything for you. 
Here's the crazy part. I don't see anywhere else in the Bible where any type of commitment like this was made. Because think about it. There are other places where commitments are absolutely made to people. But it's typically based on a promise that God has already given somebody. Abraham, will you do this crazy thing? Because if you walk over here, every step you take, I'm going to give you this land. Okay, God, I trust you. And he does it. He received the word from God first, though. There's numerous places in the Bible that a word was given to somebody and then they did things based off of the promise. Or someone did something for them based off of the promise. Ruth does not have that. This is literally from the purity of her heart. I love you so much that I don't know what's going to happen to either one of us because ain't neither one of us heard from God yet. But I will go wherever you go, and if we die, we die together. Ruth is leaving her culture. She's leaving her home. She's leaving her family. She's leaving everything that's normal for her. As a Moabite moving back in with the Israelites, this typically is going to mean you're probably not going to end up married, and she hasn't had kids up to this point. You very well may be giving up on the entire idea of marriage and children. And she says, whatever it takes, I'm going with you. Even as they got to Bethlehem, she continues to, tr- to show truly sacrificial love. Naomi is bitter. She's angry. This woman ain't even thinking about eating. Like, she's just mad. She just want to throw shade at God forever. And Ruth says, hey, we haven't eaten in like a few days. <laughs> um, I know you're mad at God and stuff, but we still need to eat. I'm going to go out into these fields around this local area, and I'm going to find somebody that will let me just pick up the scraps that are being harvested industriousness, drive, a thought process that I'm going to figure a way out of this. I'm going to figure out a way to help you because you're not in a position where you can help me or you right now. And sometimes we have to be the friend who steps in for another friend and says, I got this. You're not even in a headspace to try to figure this out right now. I got this. Well, I don't even want you to do that. Yeah, that's too bad. I love you too much. I got this. Ruth goes out and starts working in a field. And y'all, can I tell you, this ain't like, you know, uh, a day at the park. This is back-breaking work that she's doing. She shows up and she starts working. She starts putting her hands in that dirt. And she works all day to such an extent that when the owner of the field shows up, whose name happens to be Boaz, and he looks out and sees her working, he asks the field manager, hey, was that? My guess, she must have been cute too, because that's typically how it works for guys. <laughs> Either way, he noticed her. <laughs> and the field man looks at her, looks at Boaz, and he says in Ruth 2, 6 through 7, she's the Moabite woman who came back with Naomi. She came and asked my permission to pick up the grain our harvesters leave behind and gather it all into sheaves for herself. Except for one small break, she has been here all day, working in the field from the morning until now. All day. Y'all, look, this is out in the desert. It's hot. Harvesting was hard work. She's picking up what's left over. So it's not even that there's a lot of stuff. She's having to run and grab things that are being left behind. And more than likely, because of how they worked in this system, she's not the only one trying to pick up the extra scraps. 
So when I tell you she's running, she's moving around, she's picking up stuff, she can't go put her, y'all look, they didn't have lockers back there, like, okay, I picked up 10 pieces, I'm going to go put it in my locker. She's got it on her back the whole time. You can't put it down. You can't leave it. Somebody else will take it. He said, this woman been out here all day. She took one break. Found, working. I got news for some of my men in here. The Bible says a man who finds a wife finds a good thing and finds favor with God. Brothers, if any of you in here are at this time looking for a wife, you better go look and find one that's already working out in the field. Find somebody that's already got her hands in the dirt and not because of you. Somebody that don't mind figuring some stuff out, that doesn't mind putting in a full day's work, that knows how to be faithful to Naomi and diligent to this task. Because we find people, but if they ain't been faithful to none of their friends, what makes you think they're going to be faithful to you? You better go hang out with her at work one day and see how many work friends she actually has. Because she's not diligent on her job. Why would she be diligent in your relationship? You can find red flags without those red flags being thrown on you. We get in the relationship and then look for red flags. No, 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 no. Find the red flags first. Imagine Boaz walking up and he's asking who she is because she's literally sitting down in the middle of the field with two ears of corn next to her. And the brother's like, she's been here all day, but she spent most of the day doing that. Like, we can't get her to leave. She won't move. Don't nobody want that. No, some of y'all do. Let me got like Some of y'all like that. That's exactly what you want. You want to marry it too. And then be mad, like, she don't clean up, she don't cook, she don't take care of nobody, she don't help the kids. Brother, she ain't been doing that. Find her working. And ladies, I got news for you. If you want to be found by the right man, you better be working in the right field. You can go pick the field you want if you want to. You better find the one that God told you to work in. What's your calling? What's the area that God has placed you? What has he told you to be faithful and diligent over? You don't know who's watching you. You don't know who's paying attention. You don't know whose life you're about to change. You don't know who's about to change your life. I got news for y'all. People be like, Pastor Jay, you know, you reach for the, 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 the moon and you caught past the sun. You got lucky. I'm like, no, I didn't. I'm blessed. Because I knew what I was chasing. <laughs> oh, no. I saw her working in the field. And I walked up like, ooh, who is that? <laughs> she got a fine. She don't even know she need a man like me yet. <laughs> Let me go over here and try to convince this woman that I'm the best thing for her. She was so busy working, she was like, boy, quit playing and go back about your business. But when I found Pastor Sonia, she was not a pastor, but she was doing pastor stuff. 
The only thing I knew for sure, for sure about myself is that God had called me to be a pastor in one way, shape, or form. That's all I knew. He hadn't manifested it. He hadn't put me on the path. He hadn't done anything other than say, this is the calling. That's all I'm giving you. So I had to start making decisions like I was already a pastor. So in my mind, it's like, hey, I need a first lady. (laughs) But some of the folks I would talk to, I'm like, "Mm, you can't be with me at a church. You cuss too much. (laughs) You speak in tongues, but you speak a different one. Mm-mm, no, 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 I can't be with you. No, you gossip all the time. Like, I, you don't hold no secrets. Like, you have a cup with no bottom in it. You hold nothing. And you be talking to folks, and I'm like, you don't fit the field I need to be working in. You don't even know what a plow look like. So you can't get in this with me. So when I came across Pastor Sonia, and I'm like, this girl, like, she loved people. She was leading worship. She was working at the church. She was helping teach teenagers. She was volunteering with children. She was counseling women on the side. She was hanging out with folks. She was sweet. She was forgiving. She was gracious. She had so many amazing things about her. She already loved God. She was already dedicated to her church. She was already committed to a lifestyle of Jesus Christ with the evidence of fruit. Y'all better quit letting folks tell you they saved and they ain't got no fruit. It's real easy to see. If somebody for real follow Christ, it's real easy to see. And some of y'all be like, well, he saved. Yeah, but he don't do nothing that saved folks do. So like, how you know he saved? I'm just saying. You bring me a dog and it don't never bark. I got questions. At some point, a dog going to do what dogs do. They going to bark. They going to bite something. Your dog don't never do that. Are you sure that's a dog? Like, I'm going to back up because I'm convinced that's not a dog. That's a big rat. (laughs) We laugh about that, but when we look at the reality of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. I saw all of that in her. So when I started chasing, it was because I already saw the work that was being done in the field. So I'm the last person to be surprised that she's killing it as a pastor now. I'm not surprised. I expected it. I high-fived myself at night. Bro, you got a good one. We had to put in some work, but that's okay. Because sometimes the good good things, you got to get your hands in the dirt. Does this make sense? You got to find people doing the things that you need them to do when you're together, but find them doing that first. I had an uncle. God knows, don't y'all... Take this story outside of this room. <laughs> Found his first wife in the church. He visited with somebody and he was like, she was fine, man. She was so cold and she didn't want to have nothing to do with me unless I was saved. So I had to be saved. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> he was like, I had to learn how to speak in tongues. No. <laughs> no, you don't learn. No. <laughs> supposed to be speaking as the Holy Ghost give you utterance, not as you give yourself utterance to get a number. 
I'm just saying. You better find that brother speaking in tongues before you came in that door. More likely to be authentic. Find that man already loving on God. Find him already up uh, living a lifestyle that represents the one you want to live. Find people that's already working because then you can expect them to maintain a job. My wife knew we got together. I was working two jobs. One thing she didn't never have to worry about was me not having a job. I'm going to work because I like to eat. That simple. So there were things because she saw me in my own element, in my own field, that she said, hey, I'm not worried about this because I've known him before we got into the relationship. And these are the things that are important. And from Ruth, with her ability to sacrifice and with her dedication to the task and just being diligent, we learn that God rewards those who are faithful and diligent to what he's called them to. I believe even a, a large part of my ministry is a beneficiary of Pastor Sonia's diligence and faithfulness in her own life, where I receive some benefits. That's why the Bible tells us, and you find favor with God. If I wasn't with her, some of y'all would hate me. Come on, look. <laughs> Come on. Our wives make us better. My wife balances me out. When I say crazy stuff, she comes behind me and she smooths it out. But he didn't really mean it that way. Now, in my mind, yes, I did. But <laughs> she come around and she smooths it out and she make you feel good. And you be like, you know what? Yeah, I can see what Pastor Jay was saying now. She makes my life better. She makes my ministry better. And because we have been diligent and faithful, God has blessed us and he will do the same for you. Now, what can we learn from God? And this is the last place that I want to go because this is where we have to end. It's amazing to see that throughout this entire book, we don't once get God's thoughts on anything. This is one of the few books of the Bible that God doesn't speak. It's weird. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't tell anybody anything. There's no prophet coming on the scene saying you got to do this or you should do that or you should go there. There's no angel. There's no angel of the Lord. Like there's there's nothing. God doesn't even defend himself. Naomi is like trashing you for real. He doesn't even say, yes, I did take your husband and your kids. I told you not to leave Bethlehem. You did it anyway. That was part of the punishment. He don't say that. He also doesn't say, I didn't have anything to do with that. That was not me. That was because of sin. That was because of sickness. That's because of a number of other things. Like, he doesn't speak. He doesn't necessarily tell them where to go. He's not out there, like, giving them all the knowledge and all the information. But what we can see is that his hands are still involved in the situation. We can still see him moving pieces around. We can still see that he's heavily involved in what's happening. For Naomi to lose her entire family, God knew that was going to happen. Why out of all the places she could have moved did she go to Moab? Out of all the places they could have lived when they left Bethlehem, they went to Moab. Just so happens a lady named Ruth lived there. Why was it that your son happened to be the one that found her to be the one and they came together? That seems like a big coincidence to me. How in the world 
does this woman named Ruth that has been with you for only 10 years, y'all look, I got some folks I've been around for 10 years and I wouldn't leave the block to go nowhere with them. She says, I will leave everything I know for you. Where you live, I will live. Where you die, I will die. What kind of love is that? That you just so happen to have married into your family. Ruth goes to work to find food. She just so happens to walk onto the land of a man named Boaz, who is the one of two relatives that are in this town of Bethlehem who have the legal ability and right to purchase back everything that's been lost with the deaths of the husband and the two sons. It's what's called a kinsman redeemer, where you have someone who's related to the family, and when the male figures die in this part of the family, this person over here can step in to keep the lineage moving forward in that person's name. They can purchase the property. They can continue doing all the things in that person's name. You read through the rest of this story, the other brother didn't even want her. So Boaz was the only one you just so happened to end up in his field? I'm just telling you, these seems like a lot of coincidences to me. She ends up, God spins this thing around to such a way that she ends up married to Boaz. We know she hasn't had a child up to this point. In my mind, she was probably barren because in biblical times, that's what they did. They got married and they had a ton of kids. Because women's worth was literally viewed by how fertile they were. Totally crazy when I think about it, but that's how they were viewed. So she had been married for 10 years and we don't hear a thing about a child. She gets married to Boaz and God blesses her to have a son named Obed. Now, for those that are not excited yet, maybe you don't know who Obed is. Obed grows up and he has a son named Jesse. Jesse grows up and he has a son named David. But you can't see the David that God is trying to birth because you're bitter and you're angry, Naomi. And if you're not careful, you won't be faithful and stay diligent to the task that God has called you to so that you can bring new life into the world that affects everything. Have you ever thought that maybe your situation is not because God hates you, but because he's trying to birth something in you? I don't think we give him enough credit. We love to blame him. We get angry, we get mad, we get bitter. Then we stop being faithful and we quit being diligent. And God is saying the whole time, I'm trying to give you a David. David comes on the scene and unifies the two factions of the Israelites underneath a monarchy by God. David, the man who God said is the man after my own heart. David, the boy who killed Goliath. David, the one that ran for his life and refused to kill the king because he said, I will not touch the one who God has anointed. David, that we still talk about to this day. What is God trying to bring about in your life? 
What are you going through that if you let God take you through the entire situation and even though you're angry and even though you're bitter, that you stay faithful and you stay committed so that you can see what is it you want me to give birth to God? Because sometimes it's not for you. God's bringing you through it because he knows when you give birth to this, this is going to affect everybody else. They could have missed it. Naomi, who told everybody to call her Mara, call me bitter because look at what God has done to me. At the end of this story, she's sitting there with a big old smile on her face, holding her grandson that she never thought she'd ever have. Your dreams are not dead. You can still have everything you thought you wanted. Don't stop believing on God. Don't stop being faithful and diligent to what he's called you to, even when you can't see him. Even when you don't feel it. Even when you don't hear him answering. Even when it feels like he's ignoring you, you stay committed. This is where our blessing comes from. This is when God does amazing things for us. It is by his providence. He took care of them. He never said a word the entire book, but every step of the way, you can see God was taking care of them. Maybe you're like me and you've been in some situations where you know I shouldn't have come out of that. I shouldn't have lived through that. That situation right there, I shouldn't have come out of that the way I did. I remember being 16 years old and getting jumped by a gang called the BDs. Me and two of my friends walking down the street to a gas station one night and got surrounded by 14 people asking us what gang we was with. I ain't in no gang. I've been through some situations, sometimes when I should have been that car that got hit. I remember sitting at a light, Jesus, I remember it like it was yesterday, and my light turned green, but I wasn't quite paying attention, so I didn't go. A car flew through the red light, and the car next to me got T-boned. It scared me to death. I couldn't move because I was so shaken because I'm like, that was supposed to be me. I'm no better than anybody else. But I've watched God keep me over and over and over. Y'all, look, I had COVID before we knew what COVID was. My wife ran a Bible college in Milwaukee and her group, her cohort, would go do mission trips. And they did a mission trip in Mardi Gras in February of 2020. She came back sick as a dog. And now my family, we a little different. Uh, I ain't gonna even lie to you. I'm the type of person, I go to the hospital for anything. Like y'all look, if I, if I sneeze too many times right now, I'm going to the clinic, okay? <laughs> I'm that person. I don't want to feel bad. I don't want to be sick. And if you got something that'll fix it, fix it. 
My wife ain't that person. She had to lay there. Ah, and I'm like, girl, go to the hospital. What you doing? You pass out, you're going to wake up in the hospital bed. I'm just telling you. She got back and she was so sick that she said, I'm taking myself to the clinic. That's how I knew it was bad. They couldn't find anything wrong with her. They're like, all of the tests are coming back negative. Because they kept giving her the flu test. They're like, we're going to treat you for the flu because that's all of the symptoms line up. And that's the only thing we can think of. She came back home and that sickness hit me. Y'all, I was out for about at least three days. It was the sickest I have ever been in my life. I didn't know what was wrong. I was like, I thought I had the flu. But I'm like, this is the worst flu ever. I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. It hurt to think. It hurt to breathe. I didn't want to eat. I could do nothing for like three whole days. You guys, we could have died in our houses because people are doing that. But God, God kept us. And we're still here. We're still here. He kept us through so many different things. And some of you have similar testimonies. You've been brought out of sicknesses that have killed somebody else. You've been brought out of gang life. You've been brought out of drug life. You've been brought out of a lot of things. Some of you have gone through situations that have sent somebody else to a mental institution. But here you are sitting here in these chairs with your right mind, able to give God the praise that he deserves. And he deserves it all. I just want to encourage you. I want to ask for the prayer team to come on down and just come on down front. I want to encourage you. You can be bitter. You can be angry. That's cool. God can handle all of that. But don't give up on him because he ain't giving up on you. Stay faithful. Stay committed. If you've walked away from being faithful and committed, re-engage. Ask God, which one of these fields do you want me to work in? If that's here at the church, that's wonderful. Volunteer. If that's not, that's wonderful. Find where God has called you and get involved. Be committed to whatever it is he's called you to. Your marriage, your kids, your job, whatever. Stay diligent. People should be able to depend on you. You represent him. Give him everything you've got. And then I guarantee you, you will see the truth behind this message titled, When God Says, I Will Always Be There For You. That song said, ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough. Well, I got news for you. There's no depression deep enough. There's no anger hot enough. There's no bitterness bad enough. And there's no situation crazy enough to keep God from loving you. Give him your life. Because even when you can't see it, he's working. Even when you can't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. And he's guaranteed that all the work he's doing is for your good. Is there anybody in here that can raise their hand with me and just say, Pastor Jay, I'm struggling I'm struggling with some things that I'm going through and I don't understand why God has me here or why he has me facing this or why he has me dealing this or I don't feel like he's even answering me like he ain't even talking to me right now. Where is God at? Is there a God? <laughs> I appreciate the hands. I want to pray for you. And I just want to pray a blessing over you. 
before we leave here. I want to ask everybody if you wouldn't mind just standing up. Join me. And before you leave today, if you want additional prayer, these people are here for you. If you want to talk, you want to lay some things out, if you want some advice, you just want somebody to touch a degree and say, hey, I need some strength. I need some comfort. I need some Holy Ghost power so I can stay diligent in a marriage that's not working the way I want it to. So I can stay faithful to a job I can't stand or to a situation that I don't want to stay in. Let God have it. I'm going to pray for you now. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day and I thank you for all that you're doing. God, we come to you lifting you up and magnifying you for your greatness. You are amazing with how you love. And even when we can't hear you, it's not because you're not listening. It's not because you're not doing things for us. It's not because you're not taking care of us and you're not providing for us because every breath we take is a gift from you, Jesus. So the fact that we're still here shows us that you care and that there's always an opportunity for things to turn around. God, I pray for your peace. I pray for your blessings upon every person in this room. For those specifically that raise their hands, Lord, I pray that you will show them the provisions that you've already provided. Help us to not focus on what we don't have, but to look and see the things that you're doing even now. God, I pray for every person here that you will help soften our hearts, God, to put away the pride. To not be bitter, to not be angry, to help us to get past those emotions and understand that you're trying to do something here, that you want to birth something great in all of us, God. Keep us, Jesus. Take us home, God. I pray that you will give us incredible testimonies. I pray that people will return back here next week saying, God showed me his provision, and I understand now that he's been here with me the entire time. God, continue to keep your word. You said you'd never leave us. You'd never forsake us. And that all things will work together for our good. Keep us, Jesus, and take us home safely and bring us back again. In your incredible name, in Jesus' name, everyone say amen.